1: Hey, it's Carl Quintanilla, and I'm one of the hosts of Tech Check, new from CNBC. Join me, John Ford, and Deirdre Bosa as we deliver compelling, in-depth reporting and analysis of the tech industry. We're going coast to coast, bringing you must-have market insight into new technology and trends from some of the most iconic companies. Check out today's episode of Tech Check and subscribe today.
0: Friday morning, and welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Bozo with Carl Quintanilla and John Fort. A big show to close out our very first week trouble in the listing market, Coinbase, the largest back ever, and a few underwater IPOs, signs of euphoria or the air coming out of a bubble. And an exclusive with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky. One of the more remarkable business stories of the pandemic will get his take on business and crypto, too. Looking ahead to a big week for Apple, why loyalty is everything in tech right now.
1: In the meantime, big story this morning is, of course, the market, S&P, another all-time high. Same story for the Dow, above 34K, zeroing in on technology, also setting some records up 8% for the month. Cisco's at the top of the indices. NVIDIA up 12 this week. It's been a pretty major winner. D, it's interesting, you know, the market's having to take stock of the reopening. And at least for now, some of the underperformers on the NAS are going to be names like Peloton, Okta, Splunk, Workday, as we sort of put more faith in the reopening of the economy.
0: Yeah. And even some of the big tech names have sort of lost a bit of momentum this year, John. But we've got earnings season kicking off and the five mega Cap tech companies expected to post combined revenue of just under $300 billion if you ever needed a reminder of just how big they've become.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we've had some pretty big debuts too in tech. Some disappointment mixed in this week. The world's biggest SPAC deal, Altimeter, planning on taking Grab Public, but Those shares tepid since that announcement. Crypto exchange Coinbase, yeah, that popped in its first trade, uh, opening 50 percent higher than its reference price, only to settle lower, still $85 billion market cap, though. And then AppLovin, one of the biggest IPOs of the year, closed more than 18 percent lower yesterday. So what's the new playbook for public markets and what does it mean for tech darlings like Robinhood, which already face headwinds? from potential regulation that's where we'll start with jason calacanis tech investor inside.com founder robin hood angel jason i remember what was it a year year and a half ago bill gurley was gathering with investors in silicon valley saying direct listings are it they're for everyone they're the future i mean that's not what's happened here is it a better uh, public debut and ipo market than it was though
3: Well, I mean, we we had an IPO window that was closed for, what, a decade? And the idea that companies would go public, you know, during that 2010 period uh, wasn't even on the table, and we weren't even talking about it uh, in Silicon Valley. And, you know, Bill's been at this for a couple of decades, three or four, in fact. And, um, you know, we, we now have this opportunity for companies to go public. We have opportunities for companies to raise money. And what a savvy founder does and what a savvy board of directors does is when the market is hot, you raise capital. Uh, And you deploy it when the market uh, is not hot, right? And so the smart move is really to raise money now and deploy it whenever there is a pullback. Those dollars that you raise now could be worth two or three in the future. And and we saw that at the dot-com bust. We saw it in 2008 in the Great Recession. So here we go again. Uh, We're at a peak market, and it's going to correct at some point. And the smart move is to get public now and to ride it out. Uh, so now that we that have two choices for... direct listings and SPACs that's yeah. nice that there's two more more options is
2: it is it healthy <laughs> is it good cuz i mean i see companies Coming public through SPAC, it seems to be a lot of the smaller companies usually. I mean, Grab's an exception here. There've been a couple other exceptions, but it's the type of companies that 20 years ago we saw coming public early in their life, and yeah, ordinary investors had a chance to do some analysis, maybe make a good buy. Like everybody looks now at Amazon, and even Jeff Bezos was touting in his shareholder letter, you know, the the couple that bought it really early. I mean, sure, there are a lot of bad SPACs out there, but there are some good opportunities.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, people are looking for some kind of alpha, some kind of return. People wanna get big returns. People are not interested in making seven or ten percent a year. People wanna make seven or ten percent a day, a week. It's it's we've kind of lost the script here. And so you have people investing in anything like Dogecoin, Bitcoin, you know, spacks by companies that have failed like I think Fisker failed two or three times and now they're spacking again. Like how many times does that brand need to fail for people to not buy the stock? And I'm not dogging just on them. There is a whole cohort of electric vehicle companies that are two decades behind Tesla and now obviously Ford and GM and everybody catching up there. So, you know, buyer beware, do your research. And if you want to play in the private market game uh, in overvalued SPACs, and many of them are overvalued, you, you, you better be in it for the long haul and you better do your research um, and now if you're buying Netflix or you're buying Disney and they have a quarter of a million people subscribing to their, you know, uh, service, you know, you can feel a lot more secure. So this is the great education that has to occur. And that's part of what CNBC and, you know, these online discussions, uh, this is why they're so important is for us to say Netflix and Disney are different than Fisker and Nikola. You know, it's very, very different when a company Mm -hmm. does not have a product in market and they become worth billions of dollars like this company. There knows? I always save this T-shirt. It could be a fraud. It could be a zero. It could be incompetence. Or, you know, maybe there's a chance that you happen to hit uh, lightning in a bottle.
0: Right. And some key differences right between the traditional IPO and the SPAC. So, Jason, for SPACs, who's doing the due diligence or who should be?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, anybody who buys the shares and anybody who's involved in the in the company or anybody who's involved in the deal should be doing diligence. So everybody from a retail investor what about the to the promoter. Role? Yeah, of course, the promoters are, are super responsible. Um, and so, but you know, Jason, if you look at if they, somebody. So hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You ask me a question. Let me finish the answer. If you're looking at somebody like okay. Chamath who is active and yes. who is at the top of his game, and obviously we're besties, so take it for what it's <laughs> worth. You know, there's somebody there who's <laughs> going to be keep, keep working on this for 20 years. Then you have people who are retired or not, who are Jason. celebrities, and those people are very different.
0: Yeah. Okay, but Jason, you, you bring up Chamath. And yeah, yeah so he was a sponsor. He yeah. did a lot of this due diligence, but he's also selling shares. The person doing yeah. due diligence... Is also the one selling? Isn't there a conflict of interest there? Do you think that there needs to be a longer lockup period? You say that he's in it for the long run, but it's not really putting his money where his mouth is.
3: Well, I mean, I think it probably depends on the company, and all of this is public information, well, I'm right? Well, i talking Virgin so Galactic, and you
0: saw Richard Branson yeah. do the same thing.
3: Right. So, I think if you see a company where people are selling, you have to dig into that and understand why they're selling, and if they're bullish on it or not, or things have changed. So. You know, Goldman's taking companies out. Morgan Stanley's taking companies out. Everybody's going to take companies out. And then, yeah, it's a great idea for people to have to hold for a period of time. Sure. And, and that's part of this push and pull Um, You know, in the ecosystem, me as a as an early stage investor, I really hold my positions for 10, 20 years. And so people who want to be an LP in my funds or work with me know that I have that philosophy. Other folks are taking things public. They bring it to market. It's up to you to determine if you want to be in this. And so when the things that get me concerned is is obviously not Shamath selling some of his his, his version position because he's doing so many other deals. I would be more concerned about a celebrity or a retired person coming out of retirement to get that one last payday on a company that doesn't have a real product or doesn't have customers. So, uh, but it, it is your responsibility. Yeah, I know. We, I know talking about personal responsibility is something we don't do anymore. But if you're buying Bitcoin or Dogecoin or SPACs or any stocks, it's your responsibility. Just like it's your responsibility if you go to Vegas yeah. and you put it on black yeah. or red uh, on the roulette table. It's. A-
1: it's a great point. I mean, we're, we're here to help you understand, but we certainly are. We yeah. don't want to be in the business of being a babysitter. You're going to you're going to make those choices for yourself. I do want to ask you, you know, Coinbase was yet another example where viewers wrote in and said, aha, here we go again. A name that I would have loved to have gotten into earlier. Instead, I am gonna have to watch it pop 100 bucks at the open and it's going to be too expensive for me. Uh, and you talk about risk tolerance. What do you tell those viewers?
3: Um, you know, I had this conversation recently with somebody very close to me, and I said, if you love the company and you were going to allocate $10,000 for it and you're passionate about it and you believe you're going to hold it for a decade or two, uh, dollar cost average, you know, you could buy it three or four times over the next year. We know these things are volatile. Um, you know, we saw Uber, which obviously I was very connected to, go down to $15, back up to sixty. You know, th- this is a uh, a pretty volatile market. And if you believe in the company, you believe in management, slowly get into the company. Now, you look at something like Coinbase. Brian Armstrong is the real deal. He has been an advocate uh, and he's made cryptocurrency really easy for people. Right. So he, he has really done a, a tremendous job there. But keep in mind that there was a perfect storm for Coinbase. Stimulus checks being dropped everywhere. People not being able to bet on sports. Uh, and a pandemic where nobody could go out and spend money on a vacation that 's all going to reverse right so now we 're going to have the opening. People are not going to be spending their money uh, on crypto as much as maybe going to Coachella, and so that crypto <laughs> to Coachella transition could be bumpy for them so yeah. but I do think <laughs> I they will be the that, i do think there 's a chance they 'll be google they 'll be there's google. A- but They'll be the Google of crypto. Is I my keep belief. hearing that, and I, and I push yeah. back
2: with how do we know they're not the Yahoo or AOL because they are early. And right. I wonder this about the narrative because you're an investor in Robinhood, yeah. too. It seems to me that part of the Robinhood narrative is the retail investor doesn't like fees. Easy access is good. The competition is good. Right. But then on the same uh, at the same time, you've got Coinbase uh, that's got some pretty high fees. And the argument is that somehow they're going to be able to maintain that and maintain the margin. Can both be true or is there going to be this difficult period where Coinbase is probably getting hit uh, on those fees decreasing from competition? And maybe it's not clear yet what platforms they are going to be able to build on for the future.
3: Yeah, there's really two parts to that question. One is like the cult of imaginary money and can that sustain itself? Is it a giant Ponzi scheme, as some people believe, or is it the future? Let's put that question aside. Um, to your point of is it Yahoo or is it Google, is it Tesla or is it Fisker, etc.? Um, I, I think, as long as Brian is in the pilot seat, this is a Google, this is a company like Facebook with Zuckerberg. You have that founder authority. You mentioned AOL and Yahoo you know when they took Steve Case out, when they took Jerry Yang out and David Philo. Those companies were run by professional managers who ran them into the ground. And, and, you know, I think Yahoo had five CEOs in six years or something insane like that. So I always look for the founder authority. I think that's the big tell. You know, if you have a founder running the company, Steve Jobs, you know, he leaves for next, he comes back, you you see the correlation. So as long as Brian's running the company, I would be pretty confident in it. Um, But I do think there's two games being played here simultaneously. There are people who've been in the, the markets and we look at them as like this you know, beautiful cathedral with rules and decorum and and a process. And and I think CNBC and the venture community and private equity, we all kind of fall into that bucket. And then there's people who look at this as betting and recreation. And they are uh, playing a metagame. They look at shorting stocks and coming over the top and GameStop and Dogecoin. This is all a big joke and fun to them, and it's gambling. So they're betting on sports. They're in a casino Mm -hmm. having drinks and having fun, and we're all taking it seriously for our retirement. And these two things um, are happening at the same time, which is why there's this confusion.
0: Jason, that's a great way of breaking it down. I give you credit for that one. Um, Is there anything more representative of that betting recreational sort of fun side of gambling or playing the market than Dogecoin, right? We've seen this enormous spike this week. But I wonder, are there people who aren't understanding the joke, whether that be on the institutional side, who could see this as part of a problem with the wider system, or, you know, the retail investor side that think it's an actual investment?
3: You know, I I have been on CNBC with you sounding the alarm, asking people to please be careful to keep 1% or 2% of their net worth in these things, not 90%. You know we have pomp on you know who 's a bitcoin maximalist he 's got ninety eight percent of his net worth uh, in bitcoin and, and just one cryptocurrency like my message for all those folks is buy your house, put you know the maximum amount into your five twenty nine and get your kids education paid for and, and then you know make this half or a third or ten percent of what you 're doing, but you know you, you can 't stop people from doing what they want to do. This is a free economy. you get to place bets if you want, and part of the fun they 're having is watching us react to this. They love the fact that we're sitting here going, why would you buy AMC and GameStop? These companies are dying. It's a pandemic. This makes no sense. They like that. And now it's become Manifest Destiny. You know, AMC is going to raise a bunch of money uh, and and GameStop might actually figure this out. So now it's become this crazy cult religion and they're empowered. So what are they going (laughs) to do next? Bring back the Palm Pilot? I mean, it's getting crazy. Hey. It could happen. <laughs> and and
2: never said it wouldn't work. Just said recognize the risk. That's the beauty of the market. If you yes. if you see the chance, you can take it. And you, Jason, always keep it 100. Love that. Love to have you uh, help. Buy Disney. Out. Buy
3: Disney. <laughs> Please week. own some Disney. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Captain says, America says will be here in 50 investors. years. Says the angel
2: <laughs> investor. So you do your share of risk years. as well, Jason. Thanks. Yeah.
3: My pleasure. Thanks, everybody.
1: Uh, today's today's crowdsource, guys, we're asking you a question about your portfolio. So s and P's up 11 percent this year. That's better than some of the fang names like Amazon, Apple, Netflix. Are any of those stocks necessarily in trouble? Tweet us at CNBC Tech Check and let us know what you think. Dee?
0: Up next, an exclusive interview with Airbnb's Brian Chesky.
4: I think it's safe to say that winter is now over. We are working our very, very hardest to get ready for the travel season.
0: So if winter's over, what will spring bring? We are just getting started here on Tech Check.
5: Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right?
1: Let's get a gut check on Splunk here. It's the biggest laggard on the NDX, uh, down about 20 percent year to date. CTO uh, resigns late yesterday. Stock gets downgraded over a key. You can see shares uh, down this morning, about a two week low here. Uh, We'll keep our eye on that. Deep.
0: Carl, Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky says the winter for travel is over and they are preparing for a summer surge, especially among the vaccinated One problem, though, potential problem, will they have enough supply to meet demand? I talked to Chesky exclusively about what he is seeing and how he's getting ready for reopening.
4: I think it's safe to say that winter is now over. It's pretty crazy to think one year ago we had seen a precipitous drop in our business about 80 percent in about eight weeks. Well, now we're starting to see a really big rebound. And what we're seeing is when people are vaccinated, they're traveling again. So to give you a sense, um, seniors, people over the age of 60 on Airbnb, searches for summer travel in Memorial Day weekend are up 60 percent just between February and March. So we're starting to see people want to travel. It's the out of out of out of home activity they miss the most when they can travel, they do. And the other thing we're seeing is people aren't going to the same place that they used to. Airbnb, we're very much known to be an urban brand. You use Airbnb to stay in cities. Well, now a lot of our growth is in rural areas, um, small towns, and even um, entry points in national parks. So, for example, our searches in the last month for rural destinations up 40%. So those are just some of the things we're seeing. I do think once the world reopens, cities will come back but it's not going to be a shift back to cities. It's going to be a redistribution where people are going from traveling to 100 cities to truly traveling out everywhere.
0: Right. So what I'm hearing from you is that demand is certainly recovering. But what about supply? We've seen this with ride sharing, with rental cars, um, other sort of opening up industries. Your listings, is that meeting demand? And how are you making sure that hosts stay on airbnb or come on airbnb particularly when your rivals like expedia are offering incentives to get them on their platforms
4: well you know i think that we probably will have a high cost problem where there will probably be more guests coming to airbnb than we'll have hosts for because what we think is we think there's going to be a travel rebound coming that's unlike anything we've ever seen so we are working our very very hardest to get ready for the travel season And we've just done a global host campaign, a global ad campaign called Made Possible by Host, which is not just a way to promote more people traveling in Airbnb, but I think it's going to work really well to attract more people to become hosts in Airbnb as well.
0: Right. And you mentioned that global marketing campaign, that costs money, right? In the past, you've said that a lot of your hosts come to the platform organically. Is that changing at all? Do you expect to spend more money on marketing to get those hosts on the platform this year?
4: I mean, we are, we are never going to spend the amount of money on marketing as a percentage of revenue as we did before the pandemic. Because one of the things that happened is when travel stopped, we cut off almost all of our marketing. And something remarkable happened last year. Our traffic, even before we resumed marketing, got to 95% of the traffic from the year prior. I think what that revealed is our brand is incredibly strong, and we don't have to spend that much money in marketing as we used to.
0: Right. And obviously, the market has changed a little bit. Your competitors are getting quite aggressive, as I mentioned, with incentives. Are you guys willing to spend more? Do you sort of put profitability plans? Do you push them out a little bit in order to make sure that you have enough supply to meet this incredible demand you're expecting to see this year?
4: I think that we are the leader of this category, and I, I think that we will retain that leadership position. And it's just a matter of doing investments, but I don't think we, you need, we will anticipate doing a lot of incentives because, you know, I think we have a huge amount of demand for the service already.
0: So you haven't seen any evidence of this sort of hosts going from your platform to
4: others? We're the only platform that is custom built for everyday people to become hosts on the platform, really individuals. And so, no, we're seeing actually increased strength of our host community.
0: Once we see reopening and people start to travel again and perhaps want more traditional forms of travel, do some of Airbnb's broader ambitions pre-pandemic, like hotels and real estate projects, do those get picked back up?
4: Well, I mean, I think as travel recovers, there are things that we scale back that we can resume. Uh, To be clear with hotels, um, a couple, a few years ago, we um, we really started getting more serious about this. And then more recently, we acquired Hotel Tonight, which is one of the most loved hotel booking apps in the United States. And we are going to continue to invest in that product. And one of the big trends that we're seeing is the decline of business travel.
0: I remember talking to you a few years ago, and you guys were actually um, developing sort of your own hotel in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. Plans like that, your own developments, um, do you see that in the future? Could those be resumed?
4: Not in the near future. Um, Never say never. We think there's so many opportunities as we continue to grow. But one of the things that I think that has been really revealing is the power of the global network of Airbnb. And so, you know, just developing real estate projects is really interesting. But, again, we have 4 million hosts. To meet the demand over the coming years, we're going to need millions and more hosts. And I think the network based model we have where we build tools and allow people to be able to become hosts themselves in you know, communities all over the world is going to be the most scalable model for us.
0: You said that you've continued to see the average length of Airbnb stays uh, continue to lengthen. What is the average right now?
4: Um, I don't think we're going to probably disclose that right now, but we, uh, you know, in, in, coming, um, in coming earnings reports, I'll be really interested in, in sharing some of the uh, trends we're seeing. But what I can certainly say is that we have seen a consistent increase in the length of stay on Airbnb over the last five years. A world of more flexibility is a world where people are going to be traveling more and traveling longer and traveling living or boring together. And I think that's why people like staying in homes. The longer you're away from home, You want you want to be in a home. You have the comforts.
0: At the same time, you have some very big companies and tech, nonetheless, like Google and Uber saying that their workforce needs to actually live close to the office. So that idea of a flexible workforce is kind of being scaled back, don't you think, as we approach a reopening? Does that make you sort of adjust your expectations and what you just talked about, a workforce that is able to travel so freely? Maybe it's not going to be that free.
4: Well, no, I, I think it's going to be pretty free. I mean, I, I, I don't think very many tech companies have said that they are anticipating people well, Google, going back.
0: Google's to massive. And they, they said that you got to live close to the office or you have to apply if it's going to be more than 14 days. And that's a big company. Yeah, and I,
4: w- yeah I, what I don't think we'll see, though, is at most of these companies, people going back to the office five days a week. Flexibility is a sign of the future. Any company that is not flexible is probably going to lose out on talent. And so I don't think the companies are going to be dictating this. Mm -hmm. I think the talent market is going to be dictating, because if you can't get the best engineers, if you can't get the best people, you're going to probably have to adapt your policy.
0: You haven't worked out the exact policy yet, but have you thought about your real estate footprint in San Francisco? If you are aiming to give your workforce more flexibility, do you need all that space that you have right now in San Francisco?
4: Well, I mean, we are staying in San Francisco. I live here in San Francisco. I love this city and I love this state. I mean, we wouldn't have been, our success wouldn't have been possible without this. So number one, we are staying in San Francisco. Number two. You're not going um, to Miami you know, is what you're saying. <laughs> we are not going to, I, I, I'm not going to Miami. You know, some employees might be, but, uh, you know, you know, I'll, I will be here. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, um, I think, you know, we are absolutely retaining our office footprint here in San Francisco. Um, I think all companies aren't going to need as much real estate because I think a lot of us are realizing we can move towards a shared desking model where, you know, you don't need a dedicated desk. If you do that, you don't actually need as much of a footprint. Uh, people aren't going to all be in the office five days a week. So I do think that we'll probably have less real estate years from now than we would today. But that doesn't mean we're uprooting from San Francisco. This is still a route for me and this company, and it's going to be a very important place.
0: And so, Carl and John, we covered a lot of ground there, but one of the first things that we talked about was that issue of supply that is coming up more and more among sharing economy companies. We talked about it with Dara Kazra Shahi, Uber CEO, earlier this. Week He's providing incentives. list is doing the same. You know, Airbnb has spent money on a marketing campaign. Uh, Chesky called it a high cost problem, and it is increasingly becoming one, one that I wonder if Wall Street has baked in. But it's also remarkable, guys, John, what Chesky has done with the Airbnb brand. We saw from that S1 that 90 percent of bookings come to the website organically. Does that give it a leg up for its hosts as well as, you know, other hotels, OTAs, try to copy that home-sharing model.
2: That was the thing from your interview with him that's probably going to stick with me, is the idea that, I mean, even though we knew Airbnb's brand was strong, right? People start there, they don't have to pay as much for search engine marketing. They were spending as much as they are on sales and marketing, 35% of revenue, and didn't know that a bunch of it wasn't necessary until the pandemic hit, (laughs) that their brand was strong enough and their loyalty, we'll talk more about that, was strong enough, they didn't have to spend so much.
0: Yeah. You know, (laughs) that idea of loyalty, you're right. But competition, Carl, has also increased. We had that story um, a few weeks ago about Expedia, you know, providing incentives to try and lure away those Airbnb super hosts. So, Something that Chesky said is that they have to continue to work on that loyalty. And that is why you are seeing um, those them having to spend money, even though he said many times that they haven't need to do a lot of that hosts come on their own. They're starting to do that. How does that affect the cost picture?
1: Yeah. Interesting to hear him talk about San Francisco, uh, given the fact that the company literally got its start by helping people visit San Francisco. Uh, John, also interesting, you know, to hear him talk about corporate travel. We heard from Delta earlier in the week, and Ed Bastian said that they see 80 percent of corporate travel coming back in the next couple of years. Sounds like Chesky might be maybe just a touch less optimistic than that.
2: Yeah, um, which I guess makes sense because that's not his bread and butter. But I know I'm starting to make plans to travel again. And we're going to have more from Deirdre's great Holy interview shit. with uh, Brian Chesky on how he sees cryptocurrencies later on this hour. Plus, Julia Borston's with us live from Universal Hollywood. Julia.
6: John, I'm back out in the field. And this opening of Universal Hollywood is a turning point for the opening of the California economy. I'll break down what Universal Hollywood's opening means for the media giants that own theme parks as well as the state. That's up after the break.
1: Welcome back to Tech Check on CNBC. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fortin, Deirdre Bosa. We did get uh, a record high on the Dow and the S&P at the open. Pretty tight range today. Uh, NASDAQ marginally lower, though, as well as FANG. We're going to keep our eye on that, obviously. In the meantime, get a news update this morning with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel.
7: Hi, Carl. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. The CEO of FedEx sending his deepest sympathies to the families and co-workers of the eight employees killed at a mass shooting at a company facility in Indianapolis, Law enforcement officials have not identified the suspect, and the FBI says it's still too early to speculate on the shooter's motive. Meanwhile, consumer sentiment has risen to a one-year high, but the index from the University of Michigan did also fall short of estimates. Inflation concerns are also on the rise. Survey respondents say they expect inflation to hit 3.7 percent over the next year. Oregon Stanley joining other major banks in posting an earnings beat for the first quarter. This despite losing nearly a billion dollars, and the collapse of Archegos capital and China's economy roaring back to life in the first three months of the year. Country's GDP shot up 18 percent, though that was slightly less than expected. Growth is also expected to cool later in the year. But John, uh, back here stateside, lots of encouraging news this week on the data front. I'll send it back to you.
2: Yeah, that is a good thing, Rahel. Thank you. And now something tech investors should focus on in this back half of the month, the economics of loyalty we're expecting some product news out of apple this week including ipad pros and every one of apple's product launches is important because it drives a loyal ecosystem it drives services which are a big part of the reason apple's been able to maintain margins despite powerful competition and of course at the same time uh, Amazon has its own loyalty power. Jeff Bezos in an investor letter this week saying prime customers up by 50 million worldwide in the pandemic. And he's now targeting engendering that same kind of loyalty among employees. Uh, Apple also in the headline over its App Store battle with Epic Games. Apple sending executives to testify before the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on antitrust next Wednesday. Epic, that's the maker of Fortnite, and other developers are pushing back uh, on the fees that Apple charges for in-app purchases. The tech giant responding, saying those fees are standard across the industry, and if developers don't like it, well, they can have their product shopped for elsewhere, (laughs) Deodra.
0: Perhaps testing the loyalty of some of the other ecosystems like Epic. Coming up next, Twitter's unofficial mayor making headlines again today. We will get you that story. And you can listen to us on the go, download, subscribe, and enjoy the Tech Check podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. We are back in just two minutes.
1: For a market that's been in a tight range today, the drop on Pinterest is uh, somewhat notable, uh, down nearly 9%. It's about a two-week low here. Julia borston has been looking into why. Hey, Julia.
6: Yeah, Carl, we're continuing to watch shares of Pinterest down more than eight and a half percent right now and heavier than usual volume. Now, this drop comes as Cleveland research is arguing that there's a slowdown in spending from some of Pinterest's large retail partners, such as Walmart, Home Depot and Target after what was a strong holiday season plus a slower pace of net new advertisers. But that, again, is according to Cleveland Research. Pinterest shares are on pace for their worst day in a month, but that stock still is up about 17% year-to-date. Deirdre? Well, Chrissy Teigen, also known as Twitter's unofficial mayor, back
0: on the platform after vowing to quit the site at the end of March. Teigen citing cyber harassment as the reason she was logging off for good. But now she says she's back, saying she'll have to, quote, take the bad with the good, Carl, don't we all?
1: Uh, It's nice to have her back. We'll see for how long. Uh, In the meantime, uh, there has been some news on the chip shortage, and Josh Lipton's been looking into that. Hey, Josh.
8: So, Carl, take a look at the SMH, that's the ETF that tracks the chips. It is up about 15% so far this year, currently trading right near its all-time highs. Despite that run, though, it is on track to snap a five-week winning streak here. Caught up with Susquehanna's Chris Rowland. Now, he's actually increasingly neutral on the sector as a whole, he tells me, because of a growing supply demand imbalance, meaning his checks indicate that inventory is now building up with chip customers across the board, from autos to comms equipment, and that could be a problem down the line because it means that these chip customers will be ordering less in the future. If you pop open the hood of the SMH, some of the laggers this week would include names like Micron, Applied Materials, and Intel, which is actually on track here for its worst week since October. So what are some of the buys, though, that chip investors could be thinking about? Chris Rowland is telling his clients three names, Lumentum, AMD, which she sees as a smart alternative to Intel. And NVIDIA, which she argues is still the best bet on gaming and AI. John, back to you. All right. Thank you, Josh. Now to the break. Universal Hollywood
2: welcoming back guests. Julia Borston's there, and we'll take you there live. And look at Teladoc. RBC saying that telehealth company remains their favorite disruptive idea. Shares are currently about flat, slightly lower. We're back into.
1: Universal Hollywood finally opening its doors. Our Julia Borston is in Universal City. Uh, Julia, can you walk us through what the, the plan is today?
6: Well, Carl, today at 10 a.m., the doors will open to the public. All reservations had to be made in, in advance. And the tickets from both yesterday when the park was open just to season pass holders and today through Sunday are entirely sold out and have been for days. So people will go through the security gates and they will get their temperature checked and then they will enter the park, which is here behind me. And there'll be all sorts of different means of social distancing, a lot of stickers on the ground saying to stay six feet apart and also things like mobile ordering, they're going to want to make this experience, Carl, as touchless as possible.
1: Uh, Julia, of course, you were the one who brought us the news first uh, that Disneyland would be reopening in April. How do you think this additional move now fits into the overall scheme of theme parks in California?
6: Well, look, Carl, this is a really big moment for the California economy. As you know, Southern California has been hit so hard by the pandemic, both in terms of deaths and in terms of economic impact. And theme parks are an important piece of the California economy. Theme parks, there are 49 both theme and water parks in the state. They employ 135 people in the state and generate one and a half billion dollars in tax revenue and also about 14 billion dollars in terms of commerce for the state. So this is an important moment as people get out of their homes. And Carl, I think it's worth noting, it seems like demand is very strong, not just because there were sold out days here at Universal, but Disney has not revealed anything specific about demand. But I went online yesterday to see if I could book tickets and there was an hour plus wait just to get into the reservations area, guys. Oh,
2: Even for an employee, Uh, Julia, um, so theme parks are loyalty drivers, they're ecosystem enhancers. Uh, Before there were streaming services to sort of knit people to the brands in between movies, there were these. Is it clear yet kind of where the parks in the streaming era fit into the strategy, the degree to which they're going to be able to weave technology in?
6: Well, look, they are definitely weaving technology in. While the park was closed, Universal invested in its new ride about the secret life of pets. So if you remember that movie, The Secret Life of Pets, in the sequel, now they have a ride that's going to be opening up. And the idea is that this is the kind of thing that's super high tech. It generates revenue for the park. It draws in new people because it's a new attraction. But it also keeps that brand fresh in people's minds between the different movies and also sort of makes it more relevant if you think about streaming services, it makes people want to tune into streaming services. And I would say the same thing is very much true for Disney. Disney, which is opening on April 30th, is going to be opening its Avengers Campus, which is a section of the California uh, California Adventure Park in in the summer. And that is really going to be reminding people how much they love the various Marvel characters, um, but also trying to get some of the characters that are featured on Disney Plus in front of people. They have a whole WandaVision thing there. So I think the idea is that these are great revenue generators when they're operating certainly at capacity and they're going to be operating profitably. They've said that that's really important to them, but also could be a crucial piece of the whole media strategy.
0: Right. And Julia, I am loving your live shot. Uh, We should also note here that Universal is owned by our parent company, NBC Universal. Checking in on Cisco, getting an upgrade from Wolf Research to buy price target to 63. The firm is bullish on its spending for the next quarter. Plus, we have more from our interview with Airbnb's Brian Chesky. Don't go anywhere.
4: Brian Armstrong, before starting Coinbase, worked for Airbnb. He was one of our first engineers. He then became a product manager. And Brian actually was one of the original architects of our payment platform and our fraud detection system. Um, So I'm really, really proud of what he's doing. And I think that similar to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, I think one of the lessons here is when you give power to people, it provides more economic empowerment and more access. But in order to give more power to people, people have to be able to trust each other. And so you need to have a system of trust. And obviously cryptocurrencies have had their own system of trust. Airbnb, our system of trust based on our reputation system, I think has been all the lock, a lot of economics. And so I think this is a, I, I think these general trends of unlocking system of trust that allow more people to participate in the economy is a huge boon to the global economy. As far as our plans, I don't have anything to announce right now, but I can tell you that we've been certainly looking at this.
0: Now, key here, Carl and John, Chesky and many other business leaders coming on CNBC, they're thinking and talking about crypto more than ever. Now, Chesky's comments suggest that he may be thinking about it less as an asset class, but perhaps more the underlying technology, saying things like it's going to provide more economic empowerment and more access.
2: Yeah, Carl, I wonder whether blockchain is useful somehow as Airbnb continues to evolve those systems he was talking about to root out fraud and make people trust the platform more. Because a lot of times you really want to know, is this place really as nice as it looks? You know, is everything going
1: to work out? (laughs) Uh, indeed, guys, fascinating uh, sort of the intersection of Chesky and Armstrong and what's been a big week for, uh, for both companies. We'll take a break here. It's been a big week for TechCheck on this first week of the new show. We're going to bring you up to speed on some of the headlines in a minute. Time for our crowdsource. We asked with the S&P up over 11 percent this year, far outperforming some FANG names like Amazon, Apple and Netflix. Are any of those stocks in trouble? Uh, John Stuffler says no way. FANG is the uh, buoy in today's sea of froth. And Joel weighs in, arguing that Netflix will suffer as travel picks up and viewers step away from the screen, guys. Interesting, uh, because, John, Netflix just yesterday got uh, upgraded a couple notches at Moody's as some of these giants are using the uh, recovery to pay down some debt. Mm, Nice, yes. And now, one more
2: thing. And, yes, that is a Steve Jobs reference. Uh, Just like that, week one of Tech Check is in the books. Here's a fun flashback.
6: Welcome to the premiere of Tech Check. Welcome to Tech Check. Let's talk about the week ahead. This week's biggest debut, besides ours, of course, is Coinbase. Dara, it's great to see you and welcome. Congratulations
2: on the new show. Intel
6: CEO Pat
2: Gelsinger, great to be on the inauguration of Tech Check.
6: Thanks so much for joining us. I look
4: forward to catching this show regularly. Dick, welcome to Tech Check. Great to be here. Same team, new name. Thank you for having me.
2: Ron Conway, thank you. Thank you. Congrats on the new show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to see you all. I look forward to seeing you off. The
6: very first Coinbase investor. Here's what its CEO told me. That was fun. Rapid (laughs) fire. That was our MO. I'm back out in the field.
2: You, Jason, always keep it 100. Now, Deirdre, it it technically wasn't live in this show, but it sure was nice of Satya Nadella and Microsoft to announce that they were trying to buy nuance uh, on the first day of tech check. We certainly got to talk about that (laughs) as well. And then Pat Gelsinger, you know, made a bit of news on mobile I I was wondering is that still in the strategy it's autonomous driving he's focused on foundry and building up chips and he told us first here yes absolutely we're staying in the driver's seat with mobile
0: yeah you know I loved that video montage a little bit of a humble brag for us because this week really uh, went off without much of a hitch at all and we had some really really great voices we got to give a lot of credit to the people behind the scenes who made this show happen for lining this all up, the graphics team to really make a splash with something new here on CNBC, Julia. And we've got lots more ahead too, which is going to be really excited. We're only getting started here.
6: Lots more ahead. Deirdre, a great interview with Brian Chesky. I think that interview touched on so many of the themes that we see as the technologies driving today's economy. And I think what we're seeing now, and I said this earlier this week, is that every company is now a tech company. And we are going to see these trends, whether it's blockchain, whether it's a a dispersed workforce, um, or whether it's artificial intelligence really impacting everything about the way we work, the way we live, and the way companies do business, Carl.
1: Uh it's it's amazing to me you know guys uh, we used to think that uh, technology themed show was highly specialized it would be you know sort of self-contained but everything we do now uh is somehow related to tech how we shop how we pay for things how we drive um it's just amazing how you can tie anything to technology and it makes it very easy to program something like this by the way uh, it also changes how you watch television. Take, take a look at our QR code, something you can still scan uh, and get additional digital content, something we're very proud of, John. And as we look forward to next week, I mean, there's just going to be loads of more news, whether that's earnings or certainly the Apple event.
2: Yeah. Uh, and every company is a tech company, but every company is not a good tech company. Right. So th- there, there is a key <laughs> issue there. Not every company actually makes money off of its technology. One of the ones that does maybe the most is Apple. They've got that event next week on Tuesday. We're expecting iPads, but it's an ecosystem story for Apple as always. And, and in recent years, there hasn't been a bigger ecosystem year than 2021 because of how they're trying to incorporate their own homegrown trip chips now across their product line, not just in mobile, also in Macs. Don't expect to necessarily hear about that next week, but hey, Carl, we might.
1: Uh, Indeed, John. In fact, uh, you know, we got to watch the chip shortage as well. Kansas City Southern is on the tape today saying lower demand for oil and gas, drilling pipe and metals uh, used for autos because of the chip shortage. So technology definitely pervades every element of the American economy. We appreciate you, viewers, tuning in uh, this first week. We look forward to many, many more. Have a good weekend.
0: You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.